Think Fit, Be Fit, effective thinking for potent workouts. Think Fit, Be Fit is dedicated to creating a new conversation about your exercise. Our podcast helps to uncover how the fitness industry has misled us. And it will show you that if you believe in your ability to improve your body through exercise, you don't need to rely on diluted or shallow information. From there, you can then educate yourself about the thing you are trying to change, your body. Then by engaging in a process of self-mastery, you will discover the secrets of exercise. My name is Jen Schwartz. I'm the founder of Think Fit Be Fit podcast. As a full-time muscle activation technique specialist, strength and conditioning coach, and detail-oriented personal trainer, I developed this podcast to help ensure that your time in the gym is well spent and that you have the power of enhancing your exercise with effective thinking. This podcast is an educational resource designed for those who have overcome injury and want to stay healthy in the gym. I have seen miraculous changes in my clients, pain, discomfort, and their training progress by working on the health of their neuromuscular system. This podcast uncovers the tools that I have used repeatedly to help my clients consistently exercise without pain. If you are a person who has an injury, is unsatisfied with rehab, or has consistent struggles with staying on track with your training programs, you'll want to subscribe. And also if you're a trainer, a teacher, or a student that is looking to understand exercise science and apply it to a training thought process, you'll definitely want to subscribe. Please go to the iTunes store to subscribe and let other people know you are learning from this podcast with a review. You can find out more about my daily practices and tips on Instagram and Facebook at impact underscore your underscore fitness and sign up for the newsletter at impactyourfitness.net slash podcast. If you don't like something on the podcast, please reach out to me and let me know how I can improve it at jen at impactyourfitness.net. Hello, podcast listeners. I am recording from my house, which is new from my apartment, technically. Uh, the apartment's new, and I am recording from my apartment, so I'm looking forward to another podcast adventure in finding ways to make the content better and make it more relevant to you. So um, with that said, this topic is really a, a big one for me because I get asked about it all the time. And this question came in from the Instagram. What is the biggest fallacy about running? Now, this comes across my desk a lot because I have a lot of experience with picking out shoes for runners, injury prevention for runners, injury recovery for running, and making people happy by can, in, improving the longevity of their running career. As we get older, as we accumulate injuries, it's just harder to maintain a high level of activity and fitness. And that's important because running and the the biggest fallacy about running is that it's just not the best way to get fit. It's not that healthy. Running 
is a stress and it has a lot of impact inside your body and through your body. Stress and impact are important and necessary for us to live and learn and thrive, but we have to take it into consideration as something that can be negative and hurt our body as well as with any exercise. So listeners, you are smarter than the average, I don't know, fitness expert on Google. You're better than that because you want to learn about the thing that you want to change and how I'm going to help you with that is we're going to talk about some common running myths, a the definition of the single common denominator of injury and how to measure running the lab of you setting up experiments to determine whether running is good for you. Is it healthy? Does it help your bones and help you thrive mentally and emotionally? Or does it put you in a cycle of injury, inflammation, bad mood, and just a circle of frustration because we've been led to believe that running is a really simple and cost-effective way to get fit, but it's not because you have reoccurring stress points or injuries around running. And what if you train for six months for a race or, and all of a sudden, like you can't do the race because you overdid it three months ago. And then you kept overdoing it week after week. These are legit questions. They come into my office often this week alone out of the 30 some people that I, or 30 some hours of training and muscle activation techniques and retraining injury pathways. Um, I'd say a quarter of them this week were related to running like stuff that I'm trying to clean up and fix. So, um, the idea is I want to show you that how to set, I want to show you how to set up an experiment for your body, for your running and determine and how you can help yourself determine a path forward, whether that's a shoe change, a stride change, um, a breathing pattern change, um, a cross training change. Either way, just know this. The biggest fallacy about running is it's just not the most simple and cost-effective way to get fit. Okay, now let's put this in perspective. Running is a stress. Exercise is a stress. It's how your body handles those stresses and what it does with it is determines the outcome of all your efforts of running, kickboxing, and cardio or whatever. Um, it matters because you know people assume that they need cardiovascular fitness and that running is a quick way to get fit. And statistically speaking, there's some truth to this, but there are many other arguments that support that it's 
just there's so many uh, better ways to improve cardiovascular fitness, um, bone density, and like you know your blood pressure, all the things that running claims to do. There are easier ways to do it. Any trainer that is charging more than fifty dollars an hour um, in the United States should have an argument against long bouts of running for cardiovascular fitness. And, you know, you as a consumer, um, just beware of your bias, like your previous experience. Like I know most of you have had success with running previously. Like it helped you lose weight, helped you through a breakup. It helped you, um, you know, heal yourself mentally, or it helped you um, do a different type of competition, like whatever it supported you through. And like, you may have had success running, but don't rely on that to make your next move, to be your next, you know, whatever you want to be on your next phase. Like, don't rely on an emotional experience you had a year ago, five months ago, five years ago, because it's not objective. And then you start judging yourself and then you're in a frustrating, nagging circle of why can't I do this? My friend goes to yoga class and runs six miles a day. Why can't I do that? Well, you're not her. You're not him. It's, you're not it, whatever the proper pronoun is. Um, you're not, and you are you, and you have to set up parameters to experiment on yourself. Okay, I'm eight minutes in, and I haven't gotten to the juicy stuff. Okay, so um, oh, you're also gonna want to listen um, because you know we're gonna also get into some shoe stuff, um, and people are pretty obsessed with shoes when it comes to running. It's just they're not the panacea. So I'm going to tell you why. And we're going to talk about muscular strength and improving your body will like improve either your outlook on running or improve your running overall. So sometimes it's just nice to evaluate things and realize like, oh, I don't have to run. Like I can do a kettlebell class twice a week and get very similar benefits for my heart, my blood pressure, and my brain. And it's much better like on your joints probably in, in some situations. Um, okay. So I will say this. I have a, <laughs> I have my own bias against running. Um, I even had a hit like a notebook, an e-notebook that I forgot about on my Evernote. And it was literally titled running is the worst way to get fit. And I have all these arguments against like trying to get people off the treadmill and off the mileage every week to improve their bodies. So remember, people are coming to me with complaints of nagging injuries, chronic tightness, and sometimes we just got to change their habits and their outlook on the way that they see fitness. So, you know, welcome to that table. Welcome to that conversation. Um, quick update on the holiday mindset, uh, podcast that we did. Um, my dearest 
bestie, Jessica, of Bar of Chocolates in Richmond, Virginia. Check it out. Lovely, delectable, classy product of um, a chocolate bar with eight different flavors in it. Um, she said, no respect for a good cookie binge on about my podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's right. And then I said, I, I copped out and I said, you know what? I was raised Jewish, so um, I never got a co- good cookie binge. And you know what? I don't think sugar cookies are that great anyways, but like, I, so I'm sorry. So maybe send me some cookies so I can get into the Christmas goy spirit, I guess. <laughs> um And did I have any holiday binges? Oh, I did. I want to come forth with my holiday binge, which is um, the Starbucks, like their peppermint mocha. Um, I do it. I get almond milk. I do half the sugar that they, half the syrup, two pumps or one pump. And I get also get an extra shot of espresso. So like my holiday binge is Starbucks, um, I love their holiday flavors, not pumpkin, but all the other stuff. Um, I tried their juniper one. It wasn't that into it, which is funny because most of of you, if you know me, you know that I love gin with a juniper flavor. Um, Anyways, (laughs) on to the running. Um, So just quick shout out there for a cookie binge on the holidays. I hope you're enjoying them. So... Okay, common running myths. Why running is not the best way to get fit and it's not cheap because injuries can be expensive. Um, Anyways, um, okay, so one of our common myths about running is that um, pronation and supination are evil that cardio is important for fat loss, uh, your form has to be perfect, and to to avoid injury, the way is to decrease the impact with cushioned shoes. Okay, so two of those things fall into the shoe category. Uh, Pronation and supination are not evil. They're very basic human functions and you need them to move. So if you're stuck, if you are stuck in a running, um, I don't know, like a running rut and it's because of injury and you've been wearing the same shoes that block pronation or that are control stability shoes, I'd say start there and uh, consult someone about getting your foot strength back and improving that. So supination, pronation, they're not evil. You shouldn't have to block them with um, shoes that control that motion, your foot should be able to do those motions. Um, I wrote an entire article about this. It's um, on Facebook and it is smartly titled, I will tell you right now. It is smartly titled. Okay. All right, Facebook. Let me get to my page. Um, The myth of modern athletic shoe reversing the damaging effects of footwear. That's on my blog. It's actually from last year and it's something I've worked a lot on um, because I also used to 
help a cleat company with their des- um, getting the word out um, and teaching people how to buy shoes and cleats. And so I did a lot of research on that. And it's all a lot of good stuff's in there. The other shoe myth, common myth, is to that you need to avoid, in, if you're going to avoid injury, you need to decrease the impact with cushion shoes. Again, like not true. Um, and I can, pr- I can support that with data, um, science research backed as well as me search and as well as data analysis that I do with the dorsivi. So, and that's through something called ground reaction forces, which we're going to get into. Um, Form has to be perfect. That's not true. If that were true, we would all have to run like um, in the military and it's called formation running and we would, form does not have to be perfect. Um, That's why, you know, sport, like it's your, if you're going to do running as a sport, like I would encourage you to actually be less formal with your running and um unless you're doing a like a relay right or um look at it from the point of view that your breathing patterns are more important like there's things internally going on with the body when you're running that are way more important than like how the form looks so start inward if that is your concern um that's my advice and then this one's important and I think it deserves a whole separate episode. Let me know your thoughts. Cardio is important for fat loss. Um, not really. I'm not an expert on fat loss, but would love to have someone um, on who is. And I am an expert in athletic development. And I will say like cardio is only important for like discipline <laughs> when it comes to Um, there is a certain, not only important, but like, you know, it's more important to train in different movement planes, like going side to side, um, or just in a three dimensional motion rather than like doing cardio to get fit for like soccer or lacrosse. Like it's not that important. Um, but it's definitely not that important for fat loss. So supposedly there's more benefit to the aging process as far as developing and keeping, um, as many fast twitch muscles as possible and like running does not do that. So you want to keep in mind like more sprinting would be better for that than it, than just long runs for fat loss. Um, and then I put, I do want to note that if you are doing running for athletic development, I would encourage even for like cross country athletes or track athletes, I would encourage drills with multiple planes of motions and a good amount of strength training. Okay, so let's get into the lab of you. Whatever your beliefs about running, whatever your context, let's inject some science into it. Like let like just get better at being your own advocate and a good consumer of fitness. Remember, this is a $30 billion industry. Like people are going to be throwing myths at you left and right. And like running is a, you know, it's, it's a big market. So, um, let's go with it like this. My personal experience with running 
um, is just as a soccer player, I've never trained for a marathon. I've never, I barely do cardio. Um, I'm experimenting it right with it right now in the morning, but um, it's like 15 minutes of cardio. Um, and that's an experiment that I'm setting up for myself. And what I'm measuring is um, actually like, <laughs> I'm this is silly, my bowel movements and my hydration. So I've, and I'm incorporating cardio as a way to help my body wake up in the morning um, and really dialing in on a morning routine that's going to make me perform my best. So I'm exploring with a little bit of fasted cardio, 15 minutes in the morning into that routine. And I'm measuring it with um, the dorsivite to make sure it's safe. And then the second thing I'm doing is um, working on my nutrition piece with the hydration and with an outcome for um, better bowel movements. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> um, the running, okay, so here's the breakdown. We're going to define common injury denominators. And what that means is what injuries have in common from soccer to running to weightlifting. Um, cause no matter like what you're doing as an, and moving in the gym or on the field, you're, there's one thing that is certain all injuries have a common denominator, which is they occur when the athlete cannot absorb forces from contact with the ground, another player, or whatever they're trying to lift. Um, so in a squat situation, you can, you know, if your body can't handle the load dynamically through the spine, you're, you know, the forces within that and that the fact that your body can't handle them is where the injuries happen. Or if you're decelerating and your knee doesn't extend or your hip doesn't rotate on time, um, the forces of that impact are what break your tissue. So external forces meeting internal forces and who's winning. Because if you're moving forward on the field, let's say after you jump up, you land and you move forward, your body won that battle against the, the landing forces. So I could get into some, I guess, details there, but just the common denominator is forces and that the body is not absorbing them. So the key to using that information is, is okay, well, if my body can't handle the forces of running, which are like seven times the body weight onto the knee with each running step, the key to using that information, okay, forces, what does that mean? My body can't handle forces. Well, perhaps your knee muscles need to get stronger to respond to those forces. Um, during a typical day, the feet endure a cumulative force of several hundred tons. And that has nothing to do with running or cardio. I'm just saying from a, you know, day-to-day, -day, your body is putting up with a lot of forces. So strength training is the way that you increase your body's output to fight those things. 
um, when you walk and strike the ground, you are creating an impact force of one to 1.5 times your body weight. Running increases this to three to four, three or four times the body weight. Doing anything ballistic up to 10 times, tumbling in gymnastics, um, up and down with a barbell really fast, uh, the can, can create, this can create impact forces up to 18 times your body weight all of which, you know, happening milliseconds, all of this is happening super quick. So let's break this down into, okay, we got the common denominator. So what are involved in those, in that common denominator, dynamic movement and static movement. I, at my practice, I assess both of those things. And that's why I got the dorsal eye because I wanted to get deeper into the dynamic movement assessment and helping my clients learn so the static motion component, meaning st the, the stability part of how you move. So a muscle produces force. And sometimes the muscle is strong. Like, of course it is. It's attached. Like everything's healthy. Muscles are very strong. However, sometimes they can lack coordination or input from the nerves and the brain or there's a delayed in like perceiving the outside forces and that can cause instability. So what's not moving has to be controlled. So in a squat, what's not moving, um, let's say your head is not moving left to right. Like your head ha should stay still relative like when you're going up and down now your muscles that control that are very important they don't want your brain to shake otherwise if it didn't if you had all those impact forces going up and down the spine and into the brain like could you get a concussion because your muscles weren't able to like protect like and stabilize um probably not but when you're moving at a faster rate like in soccer and you hit the your head hits the ground like your muscles have to respond to that um, and keep things still. So that is what I mean by static motion stability. And static motion also refers to like an objective view of the body. So when you, when someone assesses like, oh, I have a tight hamstring, that's a subjective measurement. When I measure, when I take an assessment of my client looking at their hamstrings left to right and determining their flexibility, that's more of an objective point of view. So static motion is controlling motion, creating motion, stabilizing motion. And I assess that on the table with my clients and looking at as many joints as I can left to right and trying to determine which ones aren't moving as much as the other one, as the other side left to right, right to, right to left. The missing link for most runners understanding this is how important the muscular strength is in the equation to sustainable running. So when your body hits, when your foot hits the ground, like what is dissipating that force coming up? And I'll leave, this is a good example. There's a colleague of mine in Denver. His name is Rich. He has a mountain fitness research website and he posts on Facebook. I don't know where else he publishes his work. Um, but he measures measures oxygen uptake in hypoxic environments, high altitude, when your body is not able to 
access as much oxygen that is, you know, optimal um, at sea level. And just by doing muscle treatments on people, he is able to measure in himself and a few clients that there is a 10% increase in oxygen uptake post-muscle system treatments. So what that means is like just working on isometric output of the muscles. This is what I do on a day-to-day basis, Um, not a subject we're going to talk about here, but just by optimizing the muscular system with muscle activation techniques in the RX process, he was able to increase um, oxygen uptake by 10% and a 10% increase in speed and heart rate stayed the same. So there was no extra work from the system, just more efficiency. Like, so just working on your muscles and getting them stronger will make you a better runner. Um, And that's focusing on the static motion of running. Static meaning stability. So the other part of this, dynamic movement. Now, this is where the dorsi comes in. We have the wearable sensors that are, you know, really small, like the size of a teaspoon, (laughs) and weigh like nothing, go onto your shins, and it measures ground reaction forces, um, ground contact time, and and symmetrical motion. So the average force, um, the gr- sorry, ground reaction force is the average force exerted throughout the tibia equal and opposite to the force the body exerts on the ground. So when I measure this in my clients, we're literally measuring how much force is going through their body and you'll see differences left to right. And when there's a higher amount of force going through the body, the tibia, the point of measurement, this means that their joints are going to have extra wear and tear into them potentially. So it means the joints, the soft tissues are putting up with more force on the left versus the right or vice versa. That is so huge for injury prevention. Um, So a lower ground reaction force correlates to the body absorbing the impact forces. They have a measurement on there called um, IPA, initial peak acceleration, which is the measure of the initial deceleration of the leg immediately after impact. So GRF is measured when you have applied the maximum body weight to the ground. IPA is the initial deceleration. So two different measurements, and we'll just leave it at that. Ground contact time, it's the time that the foot is in contact with the ground from the initial contact to toe off. You want to see these symmetrical as well. Um, and I took a client on the tre- on a treadmill test at the Pacers in Old Town, Alexandria. It's a local chain of running stores around here that... And what we did is we saw ground contact time change with the shoes. I thought that was really interesting. Um, And we picked out the shoe that really was the most symmetrical for her body at this time for ground reaction forces and ground contact time because we are 
um, working on her, some pain in her first and second toe and some chronic IT band issues and some chronic hamstring issues. She's able to run and like she's cleared for exercise. There's no injury. So we're really doing some little tweaks here to be able to get her to that hundred percent. And so that she feels plugged in and like ready to do her thing all day or whenever she wants. Um, so one, we have to move on to the solution here because one of them is honestly setting yourself up on an experiment to determine, you know, are these forces equal left to right? Do I, that's why a lot of running stores will look at shoe wear, um, like the pattern, wear pattern, meaning like what the backs of the, the shoes look like. Um, that'll give you some insight into, um, both ground re reaction forces and ground contact time. So not, you'll not get a ton of information from that, but you can kind of um, validate like deeper findings and deeper data analysis with that. Another solution is improving your force generating capabilities. Like I said, strength training, big time. If I ran a program, not no pun intended, if I were directing a running program for like athletes, I would include a lot of strength training. And I've thought about this at length because of my work as a strength and conditioning specialist um, and preventing injury in kids that are doing soccer along with like cross country, along with field hockey, like if they're doing two sports, like you want to minimize the running. It's just like too much wear and tear. Even like, you know, a high schooler knows that. <laughs> um, and the injury, you know, it's just funny. Like the people that are like the best at running, genetically speaking, are said to be Ethiopian. And even a study of Ethiopian runners um, revealed a 62% incident of running injuries in, so that's three point three and a half per 1,000 hours of running across a population. I'll link to the study because that's interesting. Like they're built for it and that's a high injury risk. Like 62% is a lot. And then there was a big running uh, injury data analysis, meaning uh, they reviewed 17 studies, a systematic review, and the prevalence of running injuries was up to like 80% for runners. Like 79% like of runners are said to get hurt. That's, in, according to like research, that's crazy. Um, so no, it's not a great way to get fit. Like, <laughs> um, so you have that solution. It just improve your muscles, improve your force generating generating capabilities. External, you have the shoes, you have terrain. External performance goals and health, they don't align. And external performance goals is something I mentioned on one of my first podcasts. Exercise, um, they all exercise exist on a continuum. And what that means is if you have external performance goals for your workout, meaning like I have to get to this heart rate, I have to do this amount of mileage, I have to do this amount of time, like that is not totally aligned with what is healthy. Like you're pushing yourself towards a external goal, which might have some health benefits, but it's not a guarantee um, that you 
basically sacrificing your body for a goal is not healthy by itself. And if you want more on that, like that episode is one of the most downloaded. So get after it. Um, and then one of my other solutions is I have a running program. It's called PST for runners, positional strength training for runners. And guess what guys, they're isometrics. You know how much I love isometrics. So get at me if you want that, that, um, uh, training program. It's a PDF and I would love to get some of that on video. Actually, I do have some on video, um, that will be getting edited soon. I use video shop on my phone. It's super awesome. And then what else? Um, I wanted to say this, I've been listening, re-listening to some of the podcasts because I'm you know, doing a lot of planning and creating and I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I am dyslexic. So there are times when I mispronounce things and I don't bother to fix it because it's, it's just part of my, my brain. And I believe that I'm very smart and I believe that's just a part of me. So I'm sorry if that throws you off from time to time, but it is part of me and it's part of what I do. And, uh, I think I wouldn't like to talk about that some more um, because it, it didn't lead me into athletics and staying very loyal to being an athlete and also the kinesthetic awareness that I have with muscle activation techniques and, and training people in general, like it's really contributed in a positive way to that. So um, yeah, so kind of an apology, but kind of like a sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> anyways, I can't wait to hear from you. And if you like this episode and if you want more like this lab of you and how to set up experiments so that, you know, running is good for you, or if you need to take it out completely, um, you know, I'm be open to both because guess what? You already know this running is not the best way to get fit. It's just a sport. It's just a stress. We need stress, but don't overdo it. Talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and comment, like, dislike. Just give me some feedback on Facebook and Instagram at impact underscore your underscore fitness.